Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12. I have all six verses of this short chapter there on the insert with an outline as well. And it is in God's perfect providence that we in our series in Isaiah come to this wonderful chapter to begin a new year. It's a perfect passage. I could not have picked it in my own wisdom any better than this. It is a great beginning to a new year. In fact, if you're looking for an overriding purpose, not for just this year, but for your life, you're going to find it in Isaiah chapter 12 for sure. It's teaching us more about our God. It's going to give us a better picture of who our God is. This is also uh, the year that I read Knowing God, again, by J.I. Packer. Every five years, I pick it up again, and I commend you to do the same. There are only a few books outside of Scripture, I would say, uh, that everybody should read regularly, and Knowing God by Packer is one of them. And just this week, in concert with starting to study for this passage in earnest, I read this statement again from Packer. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. And this passage certainly sets us up for understanding what this statement of Packer is, uh, comes from, how he has derived his observations in that book. The Word of God gives us that indication. Isaiah 12 begins by speaking of an individual's final perfected view of God in the world. Remember, chapter 11 builds up uh, the Messiah's coming and his ultimate consummation of his kingdom in glory, a picture of the future perfection that awaits us, uh, the perfection in our demeanor, in our relationship with God. It's all pictured for us in chapter 12 as a song of praise. You know, in the Old Testament, when Israel was given freedom from Egypt in the exodus out of Egypt, Moses responds with a song. Well, this is the the second great exodus, the final consummation for all believers in perfection under their Lord, under our Lord, and a song is written in Isaiah 12. But it's not meant just to be thought of in the future. The future surety of this song and what it says fuels our lives today. It shapes our lives now. We have opportunity by God's Spirit to express the things that are expressed in this song of the future. Isaiah 12 gives us a clear picture of God's consummated work in our lives and how this will change us, knowing this now, knowing God now. So hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word, Isaiah 12, 1 through 6. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray. Lord God, we will indeed give thanks to you. 
though you were angry with us, the Lord Jesus turned away your anger. And he did not turn your anger to nowhere. Instead, it was turned on him for a time when he paid for our sins on the cross 2,000 years ago. As a new year begins, we declare with even more fervency by your grace that you are our salvation. We will trust in you and not be afraid. You are our strength and our song. We give thanks to you and call upon your name. We also want to make your deeds known among the peoples, proclaiming and exalting your name. You have done gloriously for us, and we want it to be known in all the earth. Teach us by your spirit, through your word, I pray in Christ. Amen. You know, at the end of every year, that last week or two, churches and charities and places you've given to or been part of, they send you a blitz of various emails asking for money. Now, I'll bet you that your attitude towards that depends on who's sending it to you. Now, I have limited resources, but when our church has a need that's known, not just because I'm employed by the church and depend to a degree on the church as giving, but there's this desire to want to give towards the things this church or the school, the school that we, we oversee, the things that these ministries do, I want to give to that. And so when there's a request, there's a, a bit of a, a natural response to want to return thanks or to contribute to its ongoing work that's impacted me so much or is impacting me. Even when I get uh, annual letters from the college I went to so long ago, I am always moved to give something because I just know how important that place and the people in that place were in my life. And maybe you have places like this where it's just a response that's almost automatic when you know what they have done for you and what they're doing for other people. You just want to give to that. You want to return, if you will, thanks to that institution or that person or that place. There is a sense in which as we come to Isaiah 12, and we have been reading of the great grace of God coming in Messiah for their perspective. There is a response. It's a natural response to a supernatural act of God's redemption that makes us sing praise, that makes us declare, proclaim, sing, want to see the name of God extended beyond ourselves. It's a simple thing. It's a simple reaction, but it's at the very core and heart of who we should be what we should be about as a redeemed people. After telling of the immediate judgment that they were facing, Isaiah paints a picture of the future that includes the Messiah's coming and his establishment of his kingdom. It's a picture of redemption realized, perfected, consummated. Now, he doesn't reveal it to us so we just wait for it to happen. He reveals it to us because by the Spirit of God, we find ourselves prompted with knowledge of this salvation that God has wrought. We find ourselves able, unusually able, to speak of this even now. Not in perfected terms like we read of in the text, but this as an ideal drives us towards what we should be striving for here on earth. It shouldn't be so disassociated what we do on earth from what God's will in heaven is. I mean, we pray that God's will on earth would look like what his will is in heaven. And so he gives us a picture of heaven so that our wills on earth are aligned with his will. And we see the change even now. And we see God do his work even now as we sing this song. And it's true for all of us who have 
taken a drink of the wells of salvation, as the passage describes it. We are called to make him known. That's what comes forward from these six simple but profound verses. In the first two verses, you have the theme of Isaiah repeated again. The Lord saves. I read one commentary, the title of the commentary for Isaiah, The Lord Saves Sinners. I just made it shorter for the series. The Lord Saves. Verse 1. You will say in that day, this is the day of consummation perfection in heaven. This is what you will say. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. That's what you're going to say in heaven. I can't answer a lot of questions about heaven for you. I firmly believe that our minds are dulled because of the fall and even post-redemption in Christ until glory we cannot conceive of all there is to behold of God, but he does tell us what you'll say in heaven. And guess what? It's the same thing you should be saying now. Behold, God is my salvation. That's the theme of Isaiah, the Lord saves. Yes, the Lord is great in his works, and they are awesome in a way that really deserves the word awesome. Yes, the Lord is sovereign, and he cannot be thwarted in any of his ways or in his will. Yes, the Lord is completely just. He's absolutely right, and he's utterly holy. All of this is true, as the word reveals. The Lord in all his perfections is worthy of honor and worship. But what stands out the most for you and for me and for Isaiah is the Lord saves. Because the other stuff doesn't matter much to us if we can't be saved first. In fact, that other stuff's scary to us if we can't be saved. But he says the Lord saves. You will say in that day, behold, God is my salvation. Just think about that. For all the things you might say in glory, the typifying statement will be, God is my salvation. The Lord saves as our theme now, and it will be our theme in glory. And you know what? The Lord saves is not only the theme of Isaiah, it's the theme of the Bible. For all the various themes that you can find in Scripture, and there are many of them, the one that pervades from the time man falls in Genesis 3, the pronouncement that God saves by sending the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent, to turn away God's anger, that's Messiah in Genesis 3. The whole Bible unfolds, the Lord saves. He was rightly and justly angry with us, but his anger is turned away. And this is what is celebrated here in verse one, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6. You remember when Isaiah is called to be a prophet and God reveals himself to Isaiah and he is undone and he says, woe of me, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips dwelling with people with unclean lips. But God meets him with a cleansing fire and purifies him so he can do what? So he can give praise to God and he can proclaim who God is in his greatness and he can be a messenger for God. We see this, a similar thing unfolding before us. How perfect God's salvation is. It says in verse 2, 
Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. How perfect his salvation is. Rightly and justly angry with us, but his anger is turned away, not turned away to anywhere, but turned to Messiah. Behold, God is my salvation. If we're going to have a memory verse for 2016, prompted by the passage we find ourselves on providentially this morning, I would suggest to you Isaiah 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. But I don't know what's coming in 2016. When uh, Elder Mike Dykstra was praying so carefully, denoting all the things we may face, as we think about those things that he mentioned, and they're all true, it does not change. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. We're saved from God's wrath. There should be nothing else that scares us. We're saved from the rightful fear of God's wrath. We're compelled to trust and rely upon him. The very God that we are rightly afraid of because of God's salvation in Messiah, we now trust and love. Furthermore, it says the Lord God is my strength and my song. A clear picture of the future is expressed here in this song. It gives us hope for today, no matter what our current circumstance is, knowing what God is working towards, it gives us encouragement for living today and being faithful witnesses to our Lord's greatness and grace. It helps us, you might say, endure today's challenges. Now, I want to say for sure, we're talking about a church where there have been people grown up in the church for a long time, hopefully little baby Nora never knows a day, just like her grandfather so wonderfully prayed, never knows a day where Jesus is not her Savior. So how is it, if you've grown up in the church, uh, do you understand what it means to be saved from something? Is that difficult? I think it can be a challenge when you're young, when you've been born in this community of grace. You know it's true, and you grasp it because it's real for you, but yet it's not particular. You can't really say, well, I was saved from this or saved from that, even though God's Word declares how you were. Maybe you haven't felt the wrath of God because of great covenantal blessing living in the community of the redeemed and having heard the message of salvation through Christ so often. If the mention of salvation does not compel you to song, I want you to think of this world that you live in and what you're starting to come to know. As you get older, you see more and more of it, and I think this truth becomes clearer to you. Do you see people happy on television? When you admire an athlete or an actor or a public figure, and then you do a little bit of search of their life, maybe you admire some of their work or something that God's given them the ability to do, and you admire that, which is fine to do. But as you analyze them further, do you see a person at peace with living with a purpose bigger than themselves? Uh, Do you see a world at peace? Do you see people loving God and loving each other? Do you see people living with purpose? Do the movies, the arts, or songs, 
Do they portray a purpose that begets a joy or a contentment or even a happiness in life? In what places do people seek satisfaction by what you see? Do you see unrest or contentment? Do you see lostness? You were saved from these things. And in time, God shows us more and more of the world and the reality of life without him, usually through the people that you'll meet. It draws me again to something Packer wrote in Knowing God. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do, know, do not know about God. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. The message of Isaiah 12 to the people of God is once again, know God, know that the Lord saves. Whenever he saves you, whether it be as a young child or a young person or later in life after you have been through things and seen a great many things, salvation will shape your life going forward. And that's what we see expressed in verses 3 to the end of the chapter. Now, I want you to notice something that's not obvious in the English here. In verse 1 and verse 2, we have Isaiah writing as an individual, singular. Verse 1 and verse 2, it says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks. It's the first person singular. Then verse 3 introduces a bit of a transition, which we see in fullness in verse 4, where it becomes second person plural, you, the company of redeemed. So it's individual redemption begets this praise in verse 1 and 2, and it transfers to the community of the redeemed as we together give our praise. There's individual salvation and corporate salvation expressed in this song and in these verses. And we catch a glimpse of how this salvation that we sing praise concerning completely alters the purpose of your life. Uh, You see life through a different lens when you've been saved. Everything looks different for you. Now, it might need to be refreshed for us, and that's why we come to the Word on a regular basis. But make no mistake, um, if you haven't been refreshed in it and you're a bit discontent, a bit miserable, you're not looking forward to the new year, it's probably because you've lost sight of your purpose. And your purpose is to live in response to the Lord saves, no matter what it is that you do. We catch a glimpse of how God's salvation shapes our lives in the opening two verses, for sure. We gain a demeanor of thanks, as you have seen. We gain a sense of comfort with God's uh, calling us as his children. We're no longer children of wrath, but children of God. We grow in our trust of God, knowing we are right with him. It says it in verse 1 and verse 2. We declare our sense of confidence and trust in God's strength, working for our good. We sing of his salvation and his strength. The first two verses show a bit of how salvation shapes us, but it really unpacks it in the following verses. Verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The wells of salvation doesn't mean multiple ways. It's all in God through Christ. But it's so plentiful that we should not hoard it. There's so much of this open to us to express. His waters are plenty for us, and we should share them. 
And you, with joy, will draw from the wells of salvation. You'll never get tired of drawing from the wells of salvation. That's why, no matter how old you are, salvation and the Lord saves compels you as much as it did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And if it didn't, you need a a refresher on what it meant, what you've been saved from. Uh, It never gets old expressing the Lord saves. 66 chapters in Isaiah, the Lord saves. 66 books in the Bible, the Lord saves. 66 years in some of your lives, and the Lord saves. Verse 4, second person plural, remember. In you, now to the community, and you, the church, will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. That's what we'll do in heaven. We should be doing it on earth. If it's good enough for eternity, it's good for the short amount of time we're here. Chapter 12, what a song. Oswald, the commentator, says in chapter 12, one man's song modulates into a singing community and the Holy One, who was the sinner's greatest threat, now dwells in the midst of an exultant people. The salvation celebrated in this song serves to shape our lives and give us purpose. Look with me at verses uh, 3 through 6 now at how, in particular, God's salvation will perfect us in the future and give us purpose today. First, Salvation gives us a demeanor of thanks. Do you see that? There's a demeanor of gratitude. There is a a gratefulness that defines us at the core because of salvation. We look at everything through thankful lens, that we're even allowed to breathe. We're so thankful that God's given us breath so that we might sing praise and speak praise about him. Thankfulness perpetuates humility. And humility is the thing that God loves and exalts. A demeanor of thankfulness changes how we interact with others. Thankfulness gives us gentleness and patience where we would normally lack it. Verse 3, with joy you you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. You'll have a thankfulness in heaven. Just like it says in verse 1, you will say in that day, I give thanks. You will give thanks to the Lord, verse 4, Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Thankfulness turns our sights outward. We're not focused on self any longer, which is a great thing. The less self-focused we are, the more Christ-like we are. And a thankfulness for God's grace and salvation becomes the very foundation for a life well-lived for God. It's the basis. But notice something else that is shaped by this knowledge of the Lord saves. Notice how salvation gives us a trust and a confidence in God, as we have seen already in verse 2. I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength. There is a rest that comes when we are saved. Before we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, we are rightly restless. Uh, We live with a sense of worry and anxiety about our, our days, and especially our future. So what do people do? They just simply, they flood their lives with distractions as a way of taking focus off the purposelessness of their existence. We have all sorts of opportunity, don't we? To distract ourselves, to make time pass. But salvation, salvation restores a clear view of our purpose. And it gives us then a rest, 
about what we are called to. We have a trust and a confidence in God, no matter what life might throw towards us. We know that God is sovereignly in control, and that he has proven it on the most basic level by saving us. What else could befall us if we know that we are safe for eternity? So as salvation answers the ultimate concern that we have, and therefore our lives can be filled with a confidence and a trust in God for the here and for the now, but also for the yet to come. Again, what a great memory verse. Verse 2 again. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Salvation shapes us in another way. Notice how salvation prompts an outward expression of praise. There's two aspects to this. There's the concerted effort to tell others, but there's also just the prompting of outward expression that happens in this song, and it happens for the redeemed. It says in verse 4, And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Then notice what else it says. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Outward expression. Verse 5. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Then it says, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. These are outward expressions that are reactions to salvation We are shaped by salvation, so we will say, give thanks. We will make known. We will proclaim. We will sing praises to the Lord. We will shout. We will sing. What a simple call for the church in 2016 and beyond. Let's sing of the salvation of the Lord. Let's speak of the salvation of the Lord. Let's keep it simple. The Lord saves. No matter how shy or introverted you may be, when you have a chance however that may look, to express praise to God, you will do so if you have been touched by his salvation. You won't keep it to yourself. You just can't. Now, it's not a matter of judging each other and one person's outward expression in another's. It's not about that. The point is salvation will prompt such an outward expression in the people of God that praise will just come forth from our lives. One of my favorite quote-unquote missionary hymns is Shout for the Blessed Jesus Reigns. Shout for the Blessed Jesus Reigns. Through distant lands his triumphs spread. And sinners freed from endless pains own him their Savior and their head. Now finally, I want you to notice the effect of salvation on our lives and as a shaping influence. Salvation will give us the desire to make him known. I I differentiate this from expression. Expression is just simply a reaction, an amen to what God has done. But there is also a concerted, you might say, organized effort on the part of the redeemed, because it's speaking to second person plural, the church now, to make him known. You know, there can be seen in Scripture a very clear missionary call. To those who have drawn from the wells of salvation we are supposed to make an effort to make the God of salvation known. Psalm 96, David, heyday of Israel, not the days of Isaiah where things were bad for Israel. Glory is all you could think of when you thought of the kingdom of David. And yet David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens in multiple places the desire to have the nations know who God is. And not just in judgment, but to be friends with God. Isaiah, or excuse me, Psalm 96 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Of course, Jesus, when he, before he ascends into heaven, the passage I read this morning during the baptism, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. An effort to make disciples, making God known in helping people to know God early on in the book of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we read in our text today, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout. Sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Brothers and sisters, let us all be renewed in our endeavor to know our God better in this year. Let us be even more diligent by God's grace to study our God's great salvation. Because when we do this, will grow in a demeanor of thankfulness and gratitude for God's grace, and that will impact everything about us. We will grow in our trusting in God more through adversity and difficulty and for what he gives us as a vision for the future. We will be moved to express praise towards God and worship him. We will long for Sunday to come so we could come together as the people of God and with one voice give praise to him. And it's about him and his praise. And this is the beauty of this worship that we're drawn into as we come to understand God better and know his salvation more. It's not what we do on Sunday is all there is to it. It's just kind of the start of the week of worship. It's the start of a a process or a focus on God's greatness and grace. It sets the pace for us because it's about him and his glory. And we look forward to that recalibrating every week in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. And it becomes more important than anything else. We also will desire to not just keep it here. We'll want everybody to draw from the wells of salvation. The more Christians come to know their God, what he has done, and what he is doing, the more natural it will be for us to proclaim him. Packer says in Knowing God, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this, the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Memory verse. It's verse 2. Let's say verse 2 together. It's on your insert. Let's say it with one voice. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Brothers and sisters, we who drink from the wells of God's salvation, we are called to make him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed the Holy One, not only of Israel, but of all Israel. 